0: Hey there, I'm Dominic Moyo and I'll be sitting down with Todd Tharp, who is the Running Rules Committee Chair for the Hunting Retriever Club, and we're going to be talking about some rule changes that will take effect in
1: 2023. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, curfeist and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC.
0: I'm Dominic Moya. I'm the Field Trial and Hunt Test Program Manager. I'm joined here today by Todd Tharp. Todd, you are the chairperson for the Hunting Retriever Club's Rule Change Committee, correct?
2: Yes, that's him. And I'm also the Running Rules um, Committee person for Region 4A within the region, as well as the National Chairman.
0: Okay. How long have you been uh, holding those roles with HRC now?
2: Probably about 15 years, I believe. 14, 15 years. It's been quite a while. I first joined um, HRC back in 1994. Actually, when I had my first dog and got introduced by a friend, actually a uh, obedience trainer that I was working with, said something about you know because I said I wanted a duck dog, and she's like, well, hey, we've got this little training group, and then you know shortly after I joined HRC and. You know, here we go, you know, and I went from, you know, getting my feet wet with a started dog, first started dog to, you know, being involved in the local club, being involved at the national level and just, you know, kind of snowballed from there. But I forget when I became a judge, but I think somewhere in the late 90s, maybe 97, I found my first seminar manual that I had gone to back in 1997 that Philip Freeman taught. A lot of the people from the South will remember Philip Freeman. He was very influential with the HRC back in the day.
0: You know, the more people I, I talk to, especially ones that are part of EC or field reps and just hear their stories about how they got into uh, HRC, some of them are by pure accident. Like you just, you know, you thought you wanted a hunting dog and then you end up going down this whole rabbit hole of of the hunting retriever club and running hunt tests, and then you're addicted and you know, they've got their claws in you and you, you couldn't think of a better way to spend your weekends than out at a hunt test.
2: Yeah, I'll be honest, you know, it went hand in hand a lot with the duck hunting that I, waterfowl hunting that I did. And then this really, I, I fell in love with HRC when I started running it. I played a couple other games coming along when I first got started and I had the most fun at every HRC event that I had ever been to, and that's just the path I took, you know, became a judge, you know, just like you said, just, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, here we are today.
0: Well, you know, it, it's nice to have a an organization that's kind of, it's run by and so involved with, you know, the average person and the average person continues to get more and more responsibilities they want more they want to be involved more and then they end up you know kind of in a a role like you are they just keep uh keep digging into what makes that sport so great and you know they really involve themselves in continuing to progress it and make it something that um everyone enjoys and continues to grow like it has been
2: yeah absolutely you know one of the sayings that i remember from way back is, you know, at an HRC event, you never meet a stranger. And I think that holds true at 99.9% of all the events I've ever been to. And I've traveled all over the Southeast, all the way to Canada, up Illinois. I've, you know, and everywhere I go, it's like HRC's this long distance family that, you know, you're always welcome and, you know, you're always greeted and it's just, it's just a fun organization. And then, you know, another thing I love is, you know, a lot of the clubs get kids involved. I love seeing kids get involved with their dogs or their, even, you know, when they first get started, they got mom or dad's dog out there and they're trying to do it. And then, you know, next thing that, you know, they've got their own puppy and, you know, it's a competition within the family, but it's, you know, that's, it's just great to see the, everybody come together no matter where you're at and, different parts of the country, you know, even all the way up into Canada, it's the same way. Now I've got a lot lot of great Canadian friends, you know, from this organization now that I talk to on a regular basis. So it's just, it's a tremendous organization. I mean, I'm very passionate about it. You know, and I tell everybody, I bleed HRC. You know, if there's an organization that, you know, I love, it's this, Yeah. you know, and it's enjoyable, it's fun. I'll say that it's always been fun. And, you know, I couldn't think of any other organization that I'd rather be a part of, you know, with my dogs.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I definitely don't have the uh, tenure running in the sport that you do, but you know, HRC is, is one of the things that I spend my weekends doing. Um, I've got my dog and, you know, we've been in it for, well, I don't know, about three years now or so. Um, And, mm-hmm. you know, everything you're saying is like, yeah. Yep. I remember going to my first, uh, my first started test and not knowing anybody there. And after about five minutes, someone was like, Hey, have you run HRC before? No. Well here, let me show you. And just, you know, (laughs) instant friend, just add water. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really special sport and I appreciate that side of it. And, uh, you know, I really like being in this job that I'm in because I get to talk with individuals like you and do things like we're doing with this podcast and talk about, you know, some of the backside of it and some of the rule changes that, um, you know, continue to make the sport what it is and progress it. And so that's kind of the goal for today's podcast is to talk about some of these rule changes that are going to take effect the, uh, the first of 2023 and, uh, you know, maybe dive into a little bit of the thought process behind them as well. I know uh, some of them are just syntax and, and clarification, but there are a couple of uh, changes that probably took a little bit more thought. And you know, I'd love to be able to pick pick your brain as proxy for the entire committee on how those changes came about. And we could probably also talk a little bit about you know, how changes are proposed as well for some of the other members who might be listening to this and go, you know, I've got an idea that I think might make HRC better and how they can get that that voice heard and potentially get that idea in effect.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, our organization, any member in good standing can propose a change, whether it's a rule change or a policy change. And, you know, they basically, you know, write it up, And I'll put it on the table. If anybody needs help writing anything or presenting anything, I'm more than happy. My phone number's out there on the website. You know, I'm pretty easily accessible via email, telephone. I, You know, a lot of times I prefer picking up the phone and have a conversation. But like I said, any member can turn in a proposed change to any rule or any policy that's out there. And the rules get turned in. You know, policies have to be brought by a board member at the national meeting, but a rule proposal can be turned in to their local area running rules rep. And it's an every, it's a two-year process basically that it takes. And we're in that process right now for new rules to be proposed, and they have to be turned in to me by April 1st of next year. Um, but like I said, any member can turn in a proposed change. Um, It's a very it's a simple form online. And if anybody needs help, go to your local running rules rep first. If they can't help you or they can't answer your questions, then feel free to give me a call or have them call me or however it works best for you. But, you know, that's what, you know, I feel makes our organization so good is that everybody basically has a voice within our organization. And there's a process for your voice to be heard, you know, because once you write it sign it, turn it in, you know, it's going to go basically up the chain. You know, it'll go to your running rules rep, then it'll come to me, and then we go sit down at the national meeting and collectively as a committee discuss the proposal that's being presented because you have to give an explanation of why you think it's a good proposal. We talk about it, we look at it, we kind of analyze what's said, what's the purpose of this change, you know, and if we feel that, you know, the verbiage could be, Changed a little bit, we make suggestions to the author. The committee cannot change any proposal. All we can do is make, change, make suggestions to change to the original author. The original author has to make the change himself or herself you know, to that particular proposal when they do it. And like I said, anybody can tr- make a proposal. Um, you know, and don't feel like you're out there by yourself. You know, because even if it gets all the way to the committee at the national meeting, we're all going to sit down and discuss. We spend an entire day discussing every proposal that's turned in, you know, the pros, cons, and can we make it better or is it good like it sits? Um, you know, so that's kind of a, a quick, brief process of how it works. And on the website, there is a, a document there. It's a timeline for, and it gives you specific dates of when things have to be turned in and who they're to be turned into. So it's very, and I have all those documents as PDF documents. So if anybody needs them, I can email them directly to them as well. So, I mean, the information's out there. It's very easy to access. I think a lot of people don't know where to look. Um, You know, the first place I would suggest is the website. If you need help, talk to your area running rules rep. And if you can't get that help, you know, come to me. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I've been around for a good amount of time. You know, I can't say I've been around as long as everybody, but, you know, I, I feel that I've got a pretty good understanding of HRC and what happens and how it happens
0: there. Um, so. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a good precursor talking about some of the process and to, uh, you know, talking about some of the specifics here, some of the rule changes that are about to take effect. Um I know there's some some uh documents that were published at the national meeting and and things like that so uh we'll kind of walk through some of these rule changes that are coming up we'll probably also talk a little bit about um you know the the ones that may have failed also and just you know kind of uh hear the uh your take on these rule changes and uh one of the first changes that are on the list for for taking effect this coming year is about the finished triple uh so the way i understood it is previously i think it said uh it said something along the lines of um it could be up to a triple in a finished test but it did not specify that it had to be a triple for a finished test and there were some sunday afternoon water series that may or may not have seen uh three birds come out of those wingers is that about the right uh right thought process there
2: yes that's correct it said multiple marks so that left an open door for less than three you know being two you know and i honestly i think you know with a double mark we have that at the season level you know you're running basically a season test if you're running a double it finished And I don't think that's fair to the people that train for the finish level. I think, you know, you progress through the program, you get to finish, you should have a a good trip on land, a good trip on water. And, you know, that kind of goes back to, and I know there's weather that can affect things, but you can still scale your test according to your weather, according to your time, and still get a, good quality test and judge the dogs to the standard. So you've kind of got to look at the entire big picture of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then, you know, it's, like I said, it's a finish level test. So you want to make sure that that dog can count the three, you know, and remember everything. There's, it's just, it's a step above season. It's not a harder season test. It's a finished test and that's the way it should be judged and looked at.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a good explanation for it. You know, I remember people telling me, well, yeah, we failed. uh, We failed on Saturday. That dog's not quite ready, but, you know, we'll come by and see if there's a a Sunday afternoon gimme. And, uh, you know, they're kind of referring to a nice, easy double and maybe a little down the shore blind or something um and just pack up get out of there and grab the ribbon on the way out um and you know i think i think kind of like what you said a finished test should be a finished test and um you know truly judge the dogs to those standards and not um not do the dogs a disservice by not allowing them to exhibit the potential and the training that they have
2: yeah and it's the Yeah. And they work hard for it and it should be something that when they get that pass and when they get that finished title, it's something that they can be proud of and they know they worked for it. What is something, you know, like a training day going out there and, you know, collecting a ribbon and collecting a title. I mean, it's something that they actually go out and earn, you know, they know they can feel good about, you know, yeah, my dog smashed that test. You know, my dog earned everything that he got. Um, you know, and I mean, and you travel across the country, you run into different terrain. There's a lot of different factors that play into a test, but at the end of the day, the standards are all the same, you know, from one region to another. And that's, you know, they, that's the way they should be judged. You know, and another big thing that we're doing now, I'll touch on it because it kind of goes hand in hand, going with region to region, is that we're working on the seminar manual currently, as well to make sure that everything within that manual is matching what is in the current rule book itself. And, you know, when we go back to the national meeting, teach the field reps that, you know, here's the standard that should be across the country, not just, you know, because it varies from region to region slightly. And a big thing that we're working towards is to make sure that, when you go to Region One, or you go to Region Ten, or Region Six, or Region Four, wherever you go, when you walk up to the line, that test is going to be pretty much the same test on different terrain and judged the same way from one region to the next. And I think that's you know a big part of it is you know getting everything to be judged to the same standard from one region to another.
0: Sure. And for for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what seminar packet that Todd's talking about, that's the uh, basically the documentation that that they give when they're instructing judges on how to judge, how to set up tests, the rules on the on the judging side of it, not just the running side of it. Um, and, you know, like he said, being. Even that documentation can be standard, but if the field reps or the people instructing those seminars have different understandings or different interpretations, um, it could lead to one region having a different standard or, or setting up different tests than another. And so that's, that's a big deal to kind of have everything standardized and nice and consistent across the board. Uh
2: Yeah. And also, you know, it's also one thing. It's a judge's handler seminar. It's not just for judges. And I would encourage every handler, go to a seminar in your region, you know, go every every year. There's one within probably an hour or two hours tops from you. Go sit down and listen. Whether you ever have aspirations to be a judge or not, go sit down and listen to the seminar see what the recommendations are, see what they're talking about, see what's being taught, and you, you ask questions there. You know, you learn a lot from sitting in the seminar, and there's going to be a lot of judges there. There's your there's a perfect opportunity to sit down and play the what-if game with a judge or your field rep or your running rules rep that's there. I mean, I know some of them don't like that, but, you know, the fact of the matter is is that, That's how you're gonna learn stuff, you know, because a lot of those guys are throughout the region doing it. Like this year, I flew to Illinois to go to a seminar in this past January, Um, you know. And when that's the first time I really went outside the southeast, but I can tell you right now, I'm gonna make it a habit of going to a seminar somewhere in the country. I'm gonna pick some place to go, and I'm gonna go. And I did it in two days. I flew up on a Friday and I flew home on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was I wasn't even gone barely 24 hours and you know, and it was very reasonable to do. Yeah. Um. But I would encourage that very much for any member or anybody that's handling a dog in our game.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I actually attended one this past summer and I do have um the intent of going on to the judge as well. But, you know, I kind of hated the fact that I waited so long to go to one of those seminars. There were a couple of people in there that they didn't, Want to be judges? Of course, it's great and benefits the sport if you go on to judge as well. But um, they're there with that purpose in mind to further their understanding of tests, further their understanding what judges are looking for, ask some questions that you don't get the time to ask on a test day, and you learn a lot about even how to train or what you're looking for in a dog when you understand how they're being judged a little bit better than what you can just read in the rule book or read in the, uh, the test setup for whatever level you're running.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and you're, you're around other HRC people that, you know, everybody that's a judge, including myself, we started out the same way everybody did. We got our first dog, found out about the organization, went, and, you know, saw what it was about trained our first started dog, you know, went and ran seasoned dog, went and ran finished dog, went and ran grand. I mean, it's a it's a progression. You get involved, but at the end of the day, thinking about it, we all started the exact same way. Mm-hmm. We wanted a dog. We were probably avid waterfowl hunters. And one way or another, we had some indirect or direct person in our lives that introduced us to HRC. Yep. So everybody pretty much starts the same way. You know, with the exception of probably Omar, you know, since he started the whole thing. And I tell you, great, speaking of him, there's a great video on our website where Omar goes in-depth and talks about how he started the organization and flew back and forth to New York. And, you know, did, it's about, a, I think it's about 25 minutes, maybe a little longer, plus or minus five minutes. But anybody out there that hasn't watched that, take a half hour out of One of your days, your weekends, sit down and watch that and just listen to what Omar has to say. I mean, I've watched it several times over the years, and I recently watched it again here in the last month or so. And I was like, it's just such a good video of him talking about this organization, how it all came to be, why he did what he did. I mean, it's just Take the all I can say is take the time and watch that video. It's really, really good.
0: Yeah, uh, and that website is hrc dog. Dog. That's the new, uh, new Hunting Retriever Club's website. If you haven't checked it out, it's it's pretty nice. It's updated now. Um.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we brought it out of the eighties.
0: Yep. Or nineties. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was getting up there in age, but it looks good now and um that's where you can find some of that information, uh, Todd's reference, getting back to some of these rules as well. Um, you know, there's some clarification as well to the season hunt area. And that was kind of done, um, to ensure that, uh, you weren't getting like inline tests or too close of marks in the season test. Right?
2: Yeah. Especially to keep your, hunt areas from overlapping because even at the season level, you know, you can't expect a seasoned dog um, to, if you've got overlapping areas, you know, for that dog to be able to distinguish. He's a younger dog, you know, doesn't have the experience, you know, so you want it clearly defined, you know, that you've got two distinct areas for that season retriever. That he's supposed to be in. He gets to the hunt area. He starts breaking down the hunt. Then he gets to that area of the fall, and he's in. The, he he goes there. You don't want it to. You don't want one mark to influence the other. You want it to be clearly defined for that that dog at that level. Yeah just like the blind not being a part of the marks, you know, it's outside the mark. So there's no influence from any part of a season test on the other. You know, when he's going up there for marking, that's what he's doing, marking in memory. There's no other influence out there. And if you get them too close to each, the two marks too close, then all of a sudden, you know, the dog could get confused. I mean, some won't, but a lot will. So that's why it's so important to make sure you have clearly defined areas that the dog's supposed to go, mm-hmm.
0: and uh you know it's funny because you don't like you said you don't want that influence there um but one of the rules that was also proposed was the same thing for finished to prevent you know inline marks and distinct hunt areas for finished, and uh that one actually failed uh, I'm assuming it had to do with you want to maintain that level of rigor and finished and keep it from being just a bigger season test.
2: Yeah. And you know, and it had gotten, I would seen some tests where, you know, you'd have three birds on the ground and all three areas were overlapping. And it, this proposal was trying to get that. So there's more separation with your marks and you're not, you know, cause if the dog starts to go out for, you know, his go bird halfway there, you know, he sees, you know, the, Met one of the memory birds laying on the ground, he turns left or turns right and goes there and picks it up. I mean, you really want to see when that dog leaves the line, ideally, you want to see him continue the straight line to the bird that he's going to pick up and not get distracted by another bird that's already out there on the ground. Um, and, if, you know, a finished dog should be able to do those sorts of things, but it's just, they need to have, in my opinion, they need to have clear areas of the fall where the dog is not confused or influenced by anything else. I mean, and I running by another mark, that's fine. That dog should remember he picked up the short bird. Now he's got to go pick up the long bird. That, that's no problem. He should remember that. You know, he's we're expecting him to count the three. He should remember where all three of those birds are without too too much problem
0: mm-hmm, and you know some of the other stuff that are changes you know I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, some of them are just clarifications, some of them are outdated, and some of them are just syntax. you know there's a big chunk here, like uh the finished cripple while we're talking about finished tests there is a yeah uh, anyone who read the rule book a lot knew that you know it mentioned tests may duplicate a cripple retrieve um but now, I haven't been running tests as long yeah. as you have, but I've never actually seen one, and that's one of the rules that they uh they took out altogether. Yeah,
2: I mean I as long as I've been in the organization, I've never seen a cripple simulated cripple set up on any test. And nobody on the current committee, you know, had seen one either. And even some of the people that have been around longer than I have you know, so they haven't seen it. So I don't know if it was something that was put in and actually never got used or if back when Omar started, if it was something that they could easily replicate. But, you know, since it wasn't being used, it was more verbiage. So we, you know, or whoever turned it in, you know, proposed to take it out. And there was very little objection to that um, there just because, I mean, it's just not used. So there was no need to have it in there.
0: Yeah. Um, Some other changes were uh, the rules used to, it had always been said, you know, once that last bird hits the ground, you're free to release your dog. Um, But in the rules, it Mm -hmm. technically said that it was on the judge's signal. And so I know that's one of the changes as well. That's been, uh, been put into the rule book is it no longer says on the judge's signal.
2: Yeah, all that is, that was removed at all levels, started, seasoned, upland, and finished, you know, because the judges never told you when to go. It's all like, you know, you just said, you know, when the last bird's on the ground, send your dog, make sure it's started, you know, make sure the birds on the ground are in the water, you know, so, you know, the judges left that in the handler's hand, so that bird was just, I mean, it was really irrelevant to our the way we run hunt tests and judge hunt tests,
0: yeah, uh likewise, in the rule book, it used to talk about uh for a season test, there would be a walk up tracking or quartering test, and I don't know, like you said, if that was something someone put in forever ago with the hopes of it of it you know giving more option or if it was something that was in there for forever that just never really got used, but now it specifies solely just a walk up for those uh season tests.
2: Yeah. And like the same thing with the cripple, I'd, I'd never seen it anywhere, um, other than a walk up season. And then the same thing with the committee, there was nobody. Yeah. I mean, there may be one or two people that had seen a quartering or tracking test, but it wasn't, it was not very many And that, you know, and that one passed overwhelmingly as well. So, you know, now season they're just going to do a walk up, um, you know, and there's no option for a tracking or quartering test,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, just another one of those things that is not, was, well, didn't appear that it was used and obviously with the overwhelming boat on it too.
1: Alan, we both had doctor pathfinder twos now for a little while. What do you think about yours? I'm liking mine. one of the things I had the opportunity to now download a map of an area where I did not have service. And I've used it there, and it has worked flawlessly. I love it. Yeah, I love the crystal clear maps. I love that I never lose reception on my dog's collars anymore. Highly
2: recommended by me as well. Dogtra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC.
0: Now, I know there was another uh, rule that passed recently talking about um, honor, like the honor dogs and uh, manners and everything with that. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that one? Because I was a little bit confused on what specifically was changed in that rule on how it, if it was just a verbiage thing or if it affects uh, you on the honor bucket.
2: Yeah, it was more of a verbiage thing and there was more of a, I guess, disagreement, I can say, among judges of whether a dog should be laying down, sitting, or standing. And the argument was, can a dog laying down actually mark the birds that are hitting the ground? There were some that said yes, some that said no. So it was always basically a debate, should the dog sit? Is it okay if he lays down? So this rule basically says your dog has to either sit or stand on the honor bucket. So that's what it changed. So Obviously, there was enough votes there that changed that. So your dog's going to be sitting or standing when you're on honor. Your dog will not be able to lay down on the honor anymore.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Because in my head, I think uh, you know, if you have a dog laying down, they kind of have an extra step before they can technically break. Which might, which might be the difference in you being able to get that that quiet sit down on them before you know before they actually break on honor. So that makes a little bit of sense. Plus, you know, if it's tall grass and they're laying down, like you said, they can't even see the birds. It's not the same test for a dog that might be standing or sitting.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, in a, if you're out in the field, you know, what if the working dog goes out there and he's hunting and then all of a sudden he can't be handled to find the bird. He can't pick the bird up. You know, now if that dog was laying down, he could potentially have not seen the bird. You know, now he doesn't even know where to go. So it's a basically a cold blind for that dog to go try and pick the bird up. If he handles well and the handler marked the bird, you know, he can get there. But, you know, I mean, it's he's an honor dog. He's the backup, basically, to the working dog. So if the working dog has a problem, the honor dog can, you know, basically take up in his place and get the job done.
0: So one of the rules, you know, the ones we've discussed so far may or may not affect people. They may never see a double in a finish test. Um, they probably never were released on a judge's signal. And definitely if you haven't seen it and a lot of people in and HRC haven't seen a cripple, then, you know, that's a no point too. But uh, one of the things that uh, will affect anybody running a season test from 2023 on is that change about the, uh, the popper, you know, historically you walk up to the line uh, whenever you're running the blind, you shoot a popper in the direction of the blind. you, put the gun back and you run your dog. Uh, and that's no longer going to be, uh, uh, done in season. Correct. So tell me a little bit about that. I've heard rumors about what it, what the reasoning and rationale is behind it. But, uh, what are some of your thoughts?
2: It, I mean, you like now the new proposed, the new rule. you will not shoot a drive popper at the blind at the season level. Um, you know, some felt that it helps the dog, points them in the right direction. Um, honestly, a, a, blind, a blind is a blind, you know, whether you go up there with the gun and shoot it. Um, the only thing that I can see it really affecting a seasoned dog, if you have a judge, which I highly recommend not to do, is running a cold blind before your marks, because um, that seasoned dog's usually pretty jacked up and, you know, excited coming in you know, and running your walk up, you know, he's, that gets him a little g'd up even more and running a cold blind after that. I just, I don't think it's a very good idea for a judge to do that to a seasoned dog. Because, you know, one thing, you know, go run your walk up, go run your marks. Now the dog's, he settled down, his mind's, you know, in the game with you, I feel. Then, you know, you get up there and run the blind because that's all about communication between handler and dog. That's you know you guys working together, and you want to give that dog every opportunity to work with you as a handler, and I think it's a big disadvantage of you know not getting them warm, so to speak, warmed up so to speak. Um, and the popper, in in my opinion and thoughts, I don't think it makes a difference. I know some people will debate that with me, and I'd be happy to discuss it, but. At the end of the day, it's a it's a blind retrieve. They're not seeing anything marked. If anything, I thought that my feelings was the shot would cause more confusion than not having a shot because you're out there, you're you're lining up, you shoulder the gun, you shoot. The dog's thinking, okay, there's a mark out there. Where is it? You know, and you how many times you see the dog's head swinging left and right, left and right, and it takes the handler a minute or two to calm the dog down. You know, to where he starts to focus and you know, he starts looking out there straight in front, you know, where he should be instead of looking around for the bird that you just shot. So I think it simulates mm-hmm. a more true blind retrieve, you know, because if you've waterfowl hunted at all, you know, you've got two birds flying in. There's a good chance. You can hit two birds with one shot. It does happen. And, you know, he goes and picks up one and there's a wind blowing or whatever. And that other one blows 50 yards from where they were, First bird was down, so yeah, you got to handle it to them. So mm-hmm. I think it's better representation of a blind retrieve than standing up there and shooting in the air. So I think it's better for yeah. the handlers. And I know some even, of the. I think it'd be easier for them to train for it as well.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. Some of the reasons I had heard, you know, just through the rumor mill and showing up to, to hunt test was, uh, you know, when that rule. Was first written, they weren't necessarily using just primer poppers; they were using actual blanks, so when you shot, there's actual wad kind of going out in that direction yeah um i don't know it if uh if that's the case. also heard you know gun safety you know a younger handler at a season test might you know might put themselves into a bad situation. It's another opportunity for them to get a gun warning or a, uh a violation. With yeah. you know having that that gun over there at the blind,
2: yeah, that's that's true. I think that was the justification that was given with it. But yeah, it is one more time the handler has to handle a gun, and they do have to be safe with it. You know, at, at any level, really, when you handle a gun in our organization, you have to you know practice gun safety with it. So you know, there. I mean, there are several reasons for it. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, there. Everybody, all the reasons are good reasons for, you know, different individuals, you know, for different reasons. And that's, you know, we're we're all different. You know, we we don't all train the same. We all have different opinions. And I've had several conversations with people that we've agreed to disagree at the end of the conversation. That's okay. That's fine. You know, because we're not all right. You know, and that's why we have a board of directors and executive committee and all these other people that, you know, collectively as an organization, we make decisions together. And, you know, when the decisions are made, it's because the organization made it, the board of directors made it. And at the end of the day, it's okay. You know, those are decisions made.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny you talking about not running a a cold blind first. The first season test I showed up at on water and land we ran a cold blind first no walk up they both had walk out, or was walk out on land and first test (laughs) of the day nice early in the morning a little chilly was a nice uh nice water blind not even marks first and you know i've i've got a poodle so we yeah we all know you know poodles have their stereotypes she went out there and did the work just fine and and looked good doing it but you know, as as a young handler walking up with a poodle on a season test, and they tell me I'm running a water blind very first thing Saturday morning. Yeah, I was a little uh, little on edge, but I yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I mean,
2: that's it's it, like I said, it's I think it's it's very tough for a a dog at the season level to walk up and run a cold blind, especially you know no walk up, no nothing, you know. And sometimes those dogs don't like to get in the water, especially early morning and it's cold out. They know that water's cold. <laughs> they don't want to get in it. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's tough. It's definitely harder running cold wines, in my opinion.
0: hmm Very sure. Not to mention your dog distinguishing, are we at a hunt test, or are you just walking me up to a pond, and, you know, we just training today. Yeah. I don't get any of the excitement, no popping, no nothing. Yeah. Um. So, uh, let's see. I know we're about right at the end of, The rule changes that are coming up yeah um as far as there was actually proposed a diversion like removing the diversion bird from season test and that one ended up failing as well i'm sure that has to do with you know maintaining the the rigor and quality of what a season test is it's not just a bigger started test yeah is that About in line with the thought process there.
2: Yeah, it is, but at the same time, you know, uh, on a diversion, even if your dog switches on a diversion at season, it's just a markdown. And again, here's this is my opinion of it. If and I'm I would be okay if you took the diversion out or you left the diversion in. But if it's left in and your dog switches, I think your dog should fail because at the end of the day, if you fail your landmarks your water marks, your landline, or your walk up, or your water blind, whichever one I left out, you fail any one of those other tests because the diversion is a separate test. You fail any one of those other five tests, you fail for the day. So why shouldn't your dog fail for switching on the diversion? Because, I mean, it, it didn't pass the, that part of the test. It switched, and it's a separate test. So my thought is, is that you know, if we leave, you know, if it's left in, and I know that's, I don't know. I think that's been proposed as well. And that hadn't passed. Like neither one of these, these have come up. I want to say at least the last four cycles of rule change proposals of either taking it out or making it a fail. And neither one have passed I- any one of the times that it's been presented. And I already know for sure it's coming up again for this cycle. So it's one of those things that's going to keep getting thrown in there until until it changes. And one year, you know, the vote will get swayed one way or the other for one reason or another. So we'll see how it goes. But right now, it remains the same. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I definitely, I never thought about it the way you put it being a separate test within, you know, within that test and, you know, why you get to kind of, uh, fail that, but still get it kind of as a markdown versus, you know, you fail your land blind. It's not, yeah, that's the end of your day. Yeah. Or, well, you can still <laughs> yeah. show up later if you got another set of marks or something, but, yeah, uh, but <laughs> you, you typically won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something that, uh, um, Passed as well. I think it was a verbiage thing. Correct me if I'm wrong with yeah. about how the honor dog is excused.
2: Yeah. The honor the judge will excuse the honor dog verbally tell the honor dog he's excused because it didn't explicitly state that the, in the old book that um, the judge would excuse the honor dog. So it was always debated as soon as the dog left the line, a lot of times handlers would get up and, you know, walk off quickly with their dog you know, so the judge wasn't telling him then, um, you know, because the dog has to leave the line. But now, you know, the judge, at his when he feels it's comfortable or she feels it's comfortable that, you know, that honor dog has met the criteria, you know, he'll excuse the honor dog. So it's just, it's kind of what's been practiced, but, you know, there was nothing there that specifically said the judge was going to excuse the honor dog. But now it's there, so... The judge will
0: excuse the honor dog. Yeah. Uh well that makes sense too, because technically, you know, you're you're still a judge until you're back on lead, and usually after you get off that honor bucket, you got a couple steps to take before before you're putting that lead back on. So there's mm-hmm. there's a little bit of room for a dog to to make some mistakes in that area and you know, the judge might be watching that dog run out on on that first go bird. And then all of a sudden, here sit real loud and firm from that honor dog, and look over and completely miss whatever that dog was doing. It could have it could have had a controlled break, and they missed it. Yeah. And so being able to excuse that dog whenever you're ready to actually judge judge that honor dog fully is you know that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So that was yeah, and I know like you know when I judge typically. One of us is going to watch the honor dog and one of us is going to watch the working dog. You know, our eyes are glued on the honor dog, making sure he's sitting, he's not creeping or breaking or doing anything. And then, you know, your co-judge is going to watch the working dog and make sure he's doing the same thing. Then once the birds are down, you know, and that dog leaves, usually the judge that was, at least when I'm judging with him, the judge that was watching the marks when, you know, he will look over. We'll kind of look at each other. We good. You know, that dog, the working dog's already gone. So, you know, then we'll excuse the honor dog at that point. And then, like you said, typically and I like to put a ribbon on the ground or a flag as a specific point where I expect your dog to get back on lead at the finish level. And there's one coming in too. There's going to be a ribbon or something where you specifically come on and off lead and, and when, like I said, when you're walking out, you know, you could be walking out. I've seen it happen. Doesn't happen often, but, you know, the handler starts walking back to the truck, doesn't put his dog on lead. And all of a sudden, Fido decides that, you know, he wants to charge out into the field. And then all of a sudden, we got a race to, you know, one of the memory birds because he's, you know, the handler's not looking. The dog keeps looking over his shoulder. He's like, I saw that when I saw it, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't take long. And when they do something like that, that, nine out of ten times that handler ain't getting that dog back. I don't care how good a finish retriever is, and I've seen it happen. And he beats the working dog out there to the bird, and then you have the problem of potential dog fight and everything else going on. So put your dog on leash is <laughs> the best thing I can say to you. I mean, it's just just do it. <laughs> I mean, keep anything from happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's no brownie points right it's yeah. It's like uh expecting your dog to be steady at started just just hold the collar, yeah, just, exactly. just hold the collar, don't shoot the gun, you don't get extra points if you do
2: yeah, it just you know just just put them on uh, and do it, move on with it, but
0: mm-hmm. I'll put uh, you in the hot seat just a little bit and get your take on <laughs> something uh interrupted triples
2: I'm not a big fan of it.
0: And one, if what are your thoughts on that?
2: An interrupted triple is, you know, okay. So all of a sudden you throw you throw one bird, you throw two birds, whatever the case, then you stop on the line. Those two marks that you threw, just threw, you basically wipe them out, and you just created a handling test. So you can't, and I don't think, at least my thought process, you can't ding a guy for handling to the area of the fall. That dog, you know, you interrupted it. And basically, told him, "No, you're not picking those birds up. You're going to go pick this bird up." So now that dog's gotten his mind. I'm not supposed to pick that bird up. So now it becomes, in my thought, it comes comes a handling test, and you know, and then how are you judging mark and memory at that point on the one bird or one or two birds that he does actually go pick up? And then you know, you've got an ex- extended memory or like a a bl- another blind is basically what that bird ends up being. I mean, I, I just I don't see Any real reason for it um, Yeah, I know there's some judges out there that like it you come wrong on my test I will never run it I promise you that and I just don't think it's it's a handling test in my opinion at that point I want to see your dog mark the birds pick up the birds You're blind. I promise you your blinds gonna be in the mix you at a finish level your blind's going to be a tough blind in the mix of your marks. You're going to have an influence on one or two of your marks for that blind. That's all the handling I'm going to need to see. Um, you know, and I just I just don't think it's what a finished dog is should be doing. Yeah, should they be able to do it? Yeah, but, you know, to the standard of our testing, I don't think it fits.
0: Yeah, I've heard uh, one saying I've heard goes something along the lines of, a good test doesn't need to be judged exactly, and it's kind of you know if you're putting yourself in a position to actually like make tough decisions as the judge, and the dogs aren't separating themselves through their work and it's not apparent, um, you know, there's usually some extra factors in a in a test that require some extra judging.
2: Yeah, and that's I like I said, you when you come judge or come run with one of them like that you're going to have distinct areas of the fall and nine out of 10 times you should be able to look out there in the field and get a pretty good idea because i like to use the terrain and you know i've judged the grant several times i use the terrain that's there and if we've got to add brush piles or you know do whatever i want to make it clear and put the test in the handler's hands if you will yeah you, know, you go up there it's going to be on you to make that decision to handle your dog. You know, it's not going to be me telling you to handle a dog because there's going to be distinct areas where your dog should be and where your dog shouldn't be. Um, and I think that's more of what HRC is about because, you know, we're a, we're starting for a hunting club. You know, it started as a hunt club. You know, so we want to see the dogs work. You know, I want to see the dogs work. I want to see the dog go out to that hunt area establish his hunt, and, you know, and just work it out, you know. I'm drawing on the desk like you guys can see me. <laughs> but anyway, but, you know, get to the area. Let that dog hunt the area. If that dog's getting ready to check out of the area, yeah, get involved, you know. But if he's hunting that area and he's working it out and he's working it out and he's staying tight to that area and he's there, let the dog work it out. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a dog hunting like he's supposed to be hunting especially if it's in the right area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know there's also some people that tell you if they're in the area of the fall, you know, a quick handle in the area is, uh, I think the rules say it's um, preferable For to an extended, extended hunt. hunt or something like that. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And so I've heard guys, you know, turn around to a judge and go, is he in the area? Yep. Okay. Tweet give that cast, get him on the bird. That way you can get him back to you and go pick up those other memory birds that you've got, uh, sitting on the ground somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, being able to have those distinct areas allow you to kind of make, make decisions like that as a handler too, where you're not having to sit there and wonder, well, is he in this area or this area? Yeah.
2: And it's just, and I think, you know, I think that's the intent of our organization is that, you know, you put something straightforward up there that's easily understood by the handler, easily understood by the dog. And that's what we're testing. It's a, you know, a hunting scenario, let the dog hunt, work it out. You guys are, you're still a team, you know, whether you're running your marks, you're running your blind, you're running your diversion, you guys are still a team up there, you know, working together, you know, one way or another. Like you made that point, you know, if you're in the area, you're right there. Put him on it. You know, if you see him in there, because a lot of times if he could, there could be no wind. There's no scent drifting anywhere. That dog could be within, and I've seen it, dog could be within two, three feet of the bird and not, just doesn't smell it. You know, and you know he's on top of it, but you better, yeah. know you better know where that bird is too, because if you start pushing him away from it, then you're going to get in trouble. So, it's, you know, it's as well as the handler, it's important for them to mark the bird so you can put your dog on it if you have to, Um, you know, so just be aware of that too. I mean, but you're right, you know, put them on it quick. Let's go. And the other thing that that does is that that dog's memory is he's burning memory. The more seconds and time that he spends on that bird trying to pick that one up, his memory is getting longer and longer and longer for those other birds. He's got to go back and pick up too. So is it better to, stop him right there and now you gain maybe 20 30 seconds yeah it doesn't sound like a lot but think about the dog you're only up there for about maybe two and a half three minutes you know four or five minutes on a long test you know you give that dog 30 second advantage by putting him right on it and sending him for the next one there's 30 seconds of memory that he didn't lose
0: yeah not to mention, it's not just 20, 30 seconds of time. It's 20, 30 seconds of that dog putting a nose down and actively searching and thinking about this bird that's right in that area. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's not just a couple of seconds. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole, uh, situation for those dogs to be out there looking for a bird.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But, uh, well, I know we could probably talk dogs and training and situations <laughs> and funny stories probably all afternoon, Yeah, but, um, you know, we've kind of uh, kind of talked about all the changes that are coming for this 2023 season. Um, you got anything else to add? Any other thoughts? Any other changes on the horizon that are worth mentioning?
2: Well, as like last year at the national meeting, we passed to reorganize our policy rule book. And we have completed that tax. I got it in the mail yesterday. Everybody can see it here. This is your new 2023 book. Here, there's three distinct sections. I'll I'll see if I can find them pretty quick. But you know, you've got section one is HRC policy, and that's all that's there is policy. Then you've got your UKC policy. That's all that's there. And then you go back to section three. Section three is all your running rules. That's the only place you need to go look for running rules to run any of our tests. There's a big general section. There's no more redundancy. You don't have to flip back and forth between, you know, the front of the book and the back of the book to find anything. Basically pages, what is that, page 55 to, what was it, page 73. Those are all your running rules right there in one section. They're still shaded just like they were, so it's easy to find. But, you know, this was a project that, you know, came to fruition at the national meeting. And I had a great committee when we did this and we took out all the duplication that was in there. So there's no repetitiveness. Um, and I'm excited to hear what everybody else thinks about it. I think it's a, I think the book got reorganized in a great fashion and a great manner. and I, I think it will help people read it more which I highly encourage you. If you're running dogs, go look at it, read your rules. You know whether you think you're coming in at started, seasoned, or finished, go read them. If you got questions? Reach out to your running rules rep. Reach out to me. There's plenty of us out there that you can talk to, and we'll help you in any way you can. We can. You know that's I want I want more people involved. I love the organization. I've mentioned that before in this, but you know it's and that's a, it's a great tool to have. Um, you know, and just anytime you need anything, I'm here.
0: Well, I know I appreciate that. I hope uh listeners kind of appreciate that openness and that invitingness of, of the Hunting Retriever Club. And uh if if you're looking to get into it, I think uh I think you'll come to find a, a great welcoming community within HRC. But uh Todd, I appreciate you taking the time today to you know, sit down with us, talk through some of these rules. I know talking about rules and policies is probably not always everyone's top uh, uh, you know, favorite thing to do. So, you know, appreciate you doing that and uh, making sure we could get this content out there so our listeners have a better idea of one, what rules are changing and two, why they might be changing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy. I'll come back on anytime you'd like. You know, we can talk about any. Training, rules, policy, whatever you would like to, HRC, I'm happy to come on and, you know, help out any way I can.
0: Well, fantastic. If it gets any colder around by me, I'm probably going to head down to Florida <laughs> to try to get some yeah. training done because it's, uh, it's about too cold to do any water work now.
2: Yeah, it's, uh we've been in the 50s a couple nights, but, you know, right now we're in that beautiful Florida weather where we go into the 60s at night and we might hit 80 during the day and you know on a warm day it's low 80s but most of the time we're in the 70s during the day right now it's i mean it's beautiful weather and it's a very dry winter so far that's the only thing that stinks so the water is kind of drying up and it's just real dry down here right now but other than that weather's beautiful
0: yeah well i'm i'm jealous <laughs>
2: But you're welcome any
0: I appreciate that. Thank you again, Todd. We appreciate you coming on here and hope everyone is able to walk away with some, some new knowledge from this conversation.
2: I hope so too.
1: Thanks for listening to the UKC hunting ops podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like, and follow UKC hunting ops on Facebook and Instagram.